Hey guys, this is Chelsea Schaefer and this is The Score. This is the Team Roping Journal's venture into the world of podcasting. On this show, you'll be able to bring the Team Roping World's movers and shakers on the road or to the office with you. They'll be telling stories and talking through some of the issues facing this sport. As the editor of the Team Roping Journal, I'll be your host. Good morning, Chelsea. How are you? I am good. How are you? <laughs> I'm good. I'm good. Let's get into this, what's new in the team roping world. Yeah, well, the team roping world is still in high gear, midsummer, as we're recording this. <laughs> this episode is with Corey Coots, who had a killer 4th of July round with Dustin Aguizquiza. He is making a return trip to the finals at this point. It looks like he's got... Ah, uh, Corey Coons has $74,000 won here at the end of June, or July, so that's really exciting for Corey and Dustin. Glad to see them back at the NFR. Uh, this is a really cool time of year because certain guys already have clinched their trips to the finals. So there's lots of guys um, that have been there before, maybe in the top five of the, in the world right now, but on the heel side, Trey Yates has $66,000 won here on in the end of July, which is super exciting because he's almost got the finals made. Last year, that would have about made it. Um, he's got still two months left of the regular season. So exciting for Trey, who was our last episode. And on the head side, Bubba Buckaloo, who we've done a lot of editorial with lately. He's great to work with. Um, he has his first finals made with 72,001. So that's pretty exciting. Bubba just won Nampa to kind of clinch it. And so, and he's roped, I talked to him yesterday, he's roped with seven different healers this year. So. Jeez Louise. Yeah. So he's, yeah, rocking and rolling. What about USTRC news? Yeah, we are about two months away at this point from the entry deadline for earned entries um, to the U.S. finals. So September 21st, 2018 is the date you need to have your earned entries postmarked by and stall reservations to receive the standard rate. I know last year people were a little surprised at stall prices because they maybe didn't read their flyers to see that it is an extra $20 per night if you postmark your stall reservations after September 21st. So if you think you're going to go to Oklahoma City, get those reservations in, get your entries in sooner rather than later. Okay, so tell us about World Series. Uh, the Heartlands are a big push right now. We just finished the number 11 Heartland in Stephenville on the 19th of July. The number 8 in Hamilton, Texas is next on August 31st. And then the number 9 in Stephenville is September 27th. So far, we've given out well over $700,000 um, at the Heartland Roping. So make sure you don't miss those, especially if you're in the, the next two, like I said, or the 9 and the, and the 8. So... Hey, Tara, before we go any further, can I tell you a funny story? Please do. Um, so everybody that's that's been listening to this podcast regularly has probably heard my little uh, promo for U.S. Rider, um, which is an awesome roadside assistance service that, that sponsors this podcast. Well, funny, that promo I talk about my husband uh, running out of fuel on the side of the road in his new pickup. Well, it was my turn uh, last weekend to run out of fuel on the side of the road in that same pickup. Let me tell you, it went from, it said low fuel, and then it was shutting down within 10 miles. So that was cool. Um, and it just so happened, I called some family friends, the Fillmores, who were on their way back through the same town we were in. And they were listening to my podcast with me talking about breaking down 
at the same time. Well, there you go. Good job, U.S. writer, <laughs> yeah. for being there. And make sure you guys listen through the whole entire episode for a promo. Yeah, if you keep listening in this episode, I will give you a promo code to get a discount on your U.S. writer membership um, and get some extra benefits, too. So don't forget. All right. Well, that wraps it up. Lead us into today's episode. Yes, I am so excited for you to hear this episode. This is Corey Kuntz. Um, he is a legend. He has been there, done that, and this year he is in the hunt for the gold buckle he so truly deserves. So we talk a little bit about that, about the the monkey on his back with not having a gold buckle, the great horses he's had in his career, and his partnership with Dustin. So I hope you get as much out of this episode as I got out of the conversation I had with him. All right. Thanks, everybody. Enjoy. Where are we right now? We are at Rick and Jimmy Joe Montero's in Greeley, Colorado, and... um, They've always been really good to me, give me a place to hang out, rope, just kind of recuperate. That's what I've been doing after the fourth run and get to come back here and kind of regroup and get ready for next week. Yeah, the fourth run. Um, How long have you had your PRCA card? 30 years? Oh, gosh, almost. Yeah, and so? Yeah, 28. 28 years best fourth run in 28 years yep by far uh i think me and colby lovell maybe won 16,000 a few years ago but this was definitely the best and honestly it was weird because we made a lot of good runs but um i also missed a couple for a lot of money and dustin missed a couple and broke a barrier for i mean we we could have won 40 or 50 as easy as we did. That's crazy. But it was it was definitely good. We made Dustin rope really good. Um, we drew some good steers. It's hard to win nowadays without drawing good. And so a lot of things went our way, and um, we had a little trouble getting to a couple of them and kind of photo finished with some tire trouble and that kind of stuff. And uh, But we showed up. We roped caught most all of them and and ended up having a good week that's awesome and dustin um tell me a little bit about your partnership with dustin how did it, you know for people that haven't been reading every single thing we've written over the years where did you guys meet and how did it evolve well i uh a couple of years ago dustin won the george Strait out of nowhere no, i didn't even know hadn't even ever heard his name i'd heard his last name because i knew manny mm-hmm. but um had never heard of Dustin, and then all of a sudden it's there's this kind of buzz around this kid that can rope really fast and reach a long ways and all of that. Well, that's kind of where team roping's gone. And so, uh, anyway, uh, Dustin was roping with Clint Summers and um, kind of started later in the spring, roped through the rest of that year and almost made the NFR and showed a lot of promise in my eyes as far as um, – where team roping's going and my I guess my goal you know my goal has always been to win but maybe not necessarily just set out to win a world title but I just needed to make a living I needed Mm -hmm. to feed my family pay the bills and that was my main concern and so now later in my life it's kind of like well I can just keep going through the motions or I can try to put everything I've got and focus in on trying to get a gold buckle, which I've never yeah. been able to get. And so that's that's kind of where 
where I'm at now. And so watching Dustin, it gave me the idea that that's a guy that could get me could get the, a gold buckle because of his ability. Um, he's got a great attitude. He's quiet. He's hungry. He wants to learn. Um, every now and then, I'm, I, I don't hold any punches. Like I, mm-hmm. when something needs to be said, I let him go, and and he makes mistakes, and we talk about it. And every now and then, I, I get on to him, and he takes every bit of it in stride. And no matter what I say or what is going on, he works at trying to do what is best for our team, and that's that's important for me and as a team going forward to, uh, you know, for that to be intact of being humble, even though he's so good, he's very humble. And so anyway, I asked him to rope and it took a little while and, you know, it was hard for him, him and Clint are good friends. And he finally kind of come to the conclusion that he decided that it would be a good move for him moving forward to rope Mm -hmm. with me. And so, I uh, got that opportunity, and we had a – well, last year we started off great, yeah. and then from Reno all the way to Cheyenne, we won zero. And that was really tough, but he kept his head up. Um, you know, for me – That's really impressive for a young kid. Yeah, because it could have really put a put a hamper on his career moving forward to have that big of a mm-hmm. downtime of as far as winning because and he, he wasn't roping great but he turned quite a few steers and I couldn't catch and so we we went to work on some different things issues that we've talked about as far as how he gets it on the steer how much he moves forward how much you utilize the space in the arena to handle the steer to pull the steer um to give me a, a shot to catch the cow and um, and cut out some of the mistakes that were going on pretty consistent. And so by working through that and then going into this year, we had a good NFR, not great, but dang sure good. Mm-hmm. And then our winter time was pretty good. And then now we're back to this time where we did so bad last yeah. year. And now we're you know all the things we've worked on we're starting to see some you know payoff as far as catching steers him doing what he's so good at but yet really making the steers healable and me catching and us finishing runs that are you know that we feel like we can keep moving forward and keep Mm -hmm. doing it's not just an accident that we're catching fast so um you brought up the gold buckle and you said you know, kind of, you're not going through the motions anymore. You're kind of hungry again. If you had won a gold buckle, say, uh, the year Jake lost his thumb, um, would you be here right now? Uh, you know, it's hard to say. Um, I do have to make a living. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I, I never thought that I would still be roping after 40. I had said for years that, you know, after I'm 40, I'm going to be done and I'm going <laughs> to... All this, all these things, but yeah. yet, almost kind of turned on against what I've always said. I almost, I feel like now, the fact that I still have the ability to compete at the highest level, I have the ability to do what I love to do, and it's a blessing to be able to continue to do it. 
and still be competitive. Mm -hmm. My biggest fear is that I keep doing it after I've lost it. Mm -hmm. And I don't want to do that. So as long as I can continue to, to be a good partner, to, um, you know, rope at a high level and win, then I'll, I'll keep doing it for a little while longer. And, (laughs) and I, I do want to, you know, I want to end up number one, never done that. So that is a, a goal, but it, I am at a place in my life that if that doesn't happen, I can look back and be real happy with the career that I've had. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's what, that sounds like what success looks like for you as far as, as far as all that, what would failure look like? Oh, I don't, honestly, I don't feel like in the team roping world, I couldn't fail now. I mean, that's I'd, awesome. I'd, I feel good about all of that. Now, moving forward with my life, mm-hmm. um, I still have to make a living, and I want, I look forward to owning a place with an arena and steers, and I'd love to have a, you know, quite a few acres and a pond I can fish <laughs> in when, I get, when I'm older. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I, I'm going to keep doing this. I'm going to give lessons. I'm gonna, I, I love teaching teaching team roping. Um, I love making heel horses, um, those kind of things. So that'll be my job from now on until mm-hmm. I can't do it. Yeah. And, um, as long as I am blessed to, you know, I live with diabetes, but I'm healthy. Mm-hmm. I feel good. And, um, I've gone through some ups and downs with that, but as long as I'm healthy and I can keep roping and I can keep, um, I'm going to move on past, the competition you know roping Mm. at the highest level but I'm gonna continue to do what I love to do and that's just team roping that's awesome um remix took a while to make um the other great ones you've had though haven't right I mean how long did how long did Jackal take or how long did all those guys down the road yeah it's funny as far as horses go they all have their own timeline now the difference with remix is I got him when he was a yearling yeah (laughs) And he was a handful, and me and him have been through a lot. And I was to the point where, even as far as a few months ago, um, I was about ready to sell him Mm -hmm. because I thought I might be able to buy another horse that that would be the one, you Mm -hmm. know, that I'd I'd ridden a couple times and um, felt like this horse has a good feel. Well, then... I priced Remix to a couple of people, Junior being one of them, and he wanted to try him. And I priced him pretty high, but not huge. And just what I thought he was worth. And so Junior wanted to try him, and I went, I took him, just so happened, I decided, you know, before I let Junior try him, I'm gonna ride him at a couple more rodeos, even though I've owned him his whole life, <laughs> I'm still gonna, I'm gonna test him and give him another chance. Well. He worked amazing, and I've kind of gone through stages with him and where I'm at now that I've figured out that um, I've tortured him so much and ran so many steers on him that he's gotten to where he doesn't do as good when I treat him bad like that. Mm -hmm. And so if I give him a little bit of a break and I don't run as many, the one at a time at the rodeos is where he's really started shining. And I even won, I've not done well jackpotting on him kind of through his whole life. 
and he's just not been consistent. Like steer after steer after steer, he's got little ways that he can make me miss. Mm -hmm. Well, I took him to Missouri uh, to that roping, and he was great. And I roped six steers over there, and I won the roping. Mm -hmm. And that was kind of um, kind of a kickstart into being able to – I really trust him now. And like all of these rodeos we've been to, I'm not trying to help him. Like mm -hmm. I'm not – and I know where all of his weaknesses are because I created all of them. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so um, I'm, I'm trusting him. I'm pushing him to the end of it sometimes. I'm cutting in sometimes. I'm, I'm doing everything just for me to try to catch the cow, and he's working. And it feels really good to have created him. Uh, and the, the one thing about all the horses I've had – I didn't start with a dink. I didn't start with yeah. something that's not capable. And so Jackal was way further along. Sure. Switchblade had already had the George Strait one on yep. him. Uh, LB was a little more green, but he was eight years old. So mm -hmm. he was ready to throw into the fire. Those horses, um, very athletic, had all the stuff, and they just needed a consistent mm -hmm. rider to just do the same thing over and over and then they got really good um so it seems like it's taken way longer with remix but if i'd only got him yeah, a when, year ago yeah, well uh -huh. then it would have seemed like he came right along yeah, too i think it's just because like i always think of remix because i've seen him ride, seen you ride him at our photo shoots for the last yeah forever yeah long time. six years yeah. seven years and you'd be like oh he's coming he's yeah. coming and then yeah. you'd show up on a on an older horse or something at the rodeo right so. yeah and it it almost is almost like i feel like i i let remix know that i could sell him <laughs> and, then, and then he was like all right well i'll i'll show you that i'll work and how's he bred his daddy is one hot jose which was a horse that i saw joe brayman on the horse um i think bobby lewis had the horse at one time and and he was shown an aqha deal head and healing maybe even roping calves um tyler magnus rode the horse after joe brayman got him and i saw that horse you know and then a long long time ago when i was first in the prca uh joe brayman and i were buddies and his horse was crippled or something, and we were, uh, we had went down and stayed at his place, and I let him ride Iceman at a couple of mm -hmm. rodeos. So once he started his breeding program and, and getting some colts and stuff, he he had told me a couple different times, hey, I'm going to give you a colt sometime. You know, when mm -hmm. I f figure out the right one, I'm going to give you a colt. So I get a call one night, and he said, hey, I got a trailer coming to Post, Texas, and that was only couple hours from where I lived and he said uh there's a colt on there for you a little done <laughs> and if you go pick him up he's yours you can have him and if you don't want to well then I'll just when the trailer gets home I'll <laughs> kick him back out so it was you know I, I went and got him and it took me three hours I think to get him in the trailer <laughs> and that was just the start of our journey and at one time I was ready to give him away uh -huh. I mean he literally he tried to he tried to kill me just as much as I tried to kill him <laughs> and uh you know we it takes a long time to actually make a horse and he's 11 now and it seems like a lifetime but honestly 
this is the age that the best horses Mm -hmm. are their very best. And so he's really probably right on track. But to say the least, me and him have been through a lot. Mm Mm-hmm. And he's he's taller than some of your other good ones, right? Like he's taller and lankier than say Jackal yeah. or Switchblader. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's man. he's honestly built a little bit odd, a little bit different, or a lot different than most all the the other really good mm-hmm. heel horses I've had. Um, he's a little longer, a little skinnier. Um, one thing about him with the way he's built is he just glides mm-hmm. like you don't hardly feel him move. Hmm. He's got a stride to him that is really smooth, and he can really run. But yet now he's got to where um, he'll gather up. Really, He's been a big butt dragger Mm -hmm. his whole life. And so when he gets on his butt and and pushes through the turn, you never really feel him move underneath you. It's really smooth, really – and he's strong. I mean, the neat thing Dustin likes is – when it hits the feet and comes tight it the steers are coming back to me yeah and it helps the finish and all of that Mm -hmm. so that's you know those are things that um that help but it's also taken a while to get him to where um for a long time I needed to ride him out real wide so that his stride fit how he was coming into the corner and now he's just matured enough that I can kind of bring him in from about anywhere and he actually works but it's it's been a little bit of an issue kind of the way he's built how long he is and his stride to get to the point where he's solid and he's doing the, making the right moves in the in the moment you know whatever it calls for and just a ton of steers got him there got him to the point of, of figuring it out yeah I think roping a lot um also you know even though he didn't feel good there, it's where I wanted to be. And so I just put him there a lot mm-hmm. and just made him, you know, he actually, he was either going to learn how to do it or <laughs> he was just going to be my practice horse, you know, one way or the other. But one thing is, you know, it, I do believe that you can do so much training or you can just show them what you want enough times that they figure out how to do it. Mm-hmm. Because a horse really, if you have a good relationship with your horse, your horse does want to please you. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've, I've found through the years that just consistency is the key to, to being able to convey to your horse that that's what you want. The more you show them, the more you're consistent with the way you show them, then the more they learn and actually start to get Mm -hmm. what you're asking them to do. And if you're inconsistent with the way you ride them, then your horse is always a little bit confused Mm -hmm. on what you really want. And so I think that's part of it. But, you know, it's it's you know, there's a there's an individual journey with each horse. Yeah. And they all kind of have their own time and their own way of getting it. And um, it, it's taken a little while with him, but <laughs> I think he's coming around now. Yeah, I think so. Don't forget, this podcast is supported by U.S. Rider, the premier equestrian roadside assistance program in the industry. You've heard me talk about it every episode since the start. And now I want to give you a promo code so you all can subscribe and save money too. You get 14 months for the price of 12 with the promo code PC718. That is P as in Paul, C as in Cat, 718. 
You only get it if you're listening to the score. This is a score exclusive promo code. So head on over to usrider.org and subscribe. So I'm always fascinated by, we know you've had 30 years in the PRCA almost of experience with horses, but before that, I mean, did you start out as just some punk kid that could get by on any colt and just needed transportation, or did you, did you grow up, how did you grow up, were your parents horse trainers, tell me a little bit about that. Well, I grew up in the feedlot. Mm-hmm. Uh, my dad was a bareback rider, and it never roped, and then kind of started messing around roping um and so by the time i was a kid he was working managing a feedlot and i worked in the feedlot Mm -hmm. so i did feel like i had a lot of ability and i learned how to rope on a lot of different kind of horses but i also learned how to ride colts and i learned how to you know i didn't learn like from many very good horse trainers or anything mm-hmm. but there were some just feedlot cowboys that worked at the feedlot where i grew up that uh broke colts and so i learned how to do some of that and and um you know making them turn around making them move off your feet make you know just kind of the basic things and then along you know I, and i had several pretty good horses kind of through my high school Years. Did you high school rodeo? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yeah, I junior rodeoed in the AJRA in Texas, mm-hmm. and I roped with Larry D. Guy, mm-hmm. and I roped with you know, um, and then I got into high school, and um, the horse that I, I had a young horse that was only four years old that I had won the uh, World Junior Championship deal, and used to be in Allen, Oklahoma, mm-hmm. and that was the big deal, and yeah. I won that. And um, then that horse got crippled, and I had to put him down. He had an avicular real bad, and just and so after that, I was kind of a foot. And Twister Kane let me ride one of his horses for a little while, and then Twister said, "Hey, I saw a horse that uh, a little dun horse that looked pretty cool that a guy named Flynn Ferris has, and he wants to sell him because Flynn and Mike Macy were roping together, and they're trying to make the NFR." And this horse is just a colt, and he's got some ability, but he just needs rid of him. So I go try the horse and roped really good on him. And I think he, I can't remember what Flynn even priced him at, but just being a high school kid, I had 3500 bucks that I could spend on a horse. So I wrote out the check, and me and my mom went to try this little dun horse named Iceman. I rode the horse, loved him. Uh, Flynn asked if I was, you know, do you want to buy him? I handed him the check, and it was folded, and I said, that's all I got. You can either take it or I would love to have him, but that's all I got. Mm-hmm. He looked at it, and he gasped, and he just, oh, you got to be kidding me, and just kicking rocks and just, you know. And then he ended up saying, you, you know what? I need the money. I'll take it. And then that's where... I, I high school rodeoed on Iceman. I college rodeoed on Iceman. Went to uh, two college national finals on him. I started pro rodeoing, roping with Rube Woolsey. And just that's where mm-hmm. took off with Iceman. Mm-hmm. And, and he, I wanted to, 
I, I wanted to rope really aggressive and throw fast, and that horse let me do whatever I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. And I won a ton of stuff. I made the NFR on him. Um, 92 was my first year, and then I won the George Straits. I won the BFIs. I won all of those different things on him, and he just always worked. Did you know? he have and, a learning curve? Like, uh, his learning curve was probably about the same as mine at the time I was just that punk kid Mm -hmm. that I knew how to ride and I knew what a horse was kind of supposed to do but I didn't always I I had a t-shirt that uh said on the front dare to be different Mm -hmm. and I kind of lived by that (laughs) and so even though the best guys in the world at that time were Clay Cooper, Alan Bach, Bobby Harris um you know, and then looking back, like at Leo Camarillo and the guys that were the very best, they were catchers. Mm-hmm. They made sure they caught two feet every time, and they didn't necessarily take the the high risk shot. Mm-hmm. And that's what I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. I wanted to. I took. I felt like I took a little bit from each one of those guys, but then I incorporated it in, into me and wanting to be very aggressive with where I throw, but catch all of them which I guess everyone kind of sets out to be that way but it you know I got to where I was a first and second hop roper and the way we used to rope was I would call it more of a spot roper because all the best guys I roped with ran to a certain spot their horses made a move it set the steer up and I would throw in the same spot every time no matter what and so that kind of built me into who I was, whether it was Rube, Matt Tyler, Steve Purcella, Brett Boatwright, um, shoot, I, Daniel Green. I go on and on. I've roped with some great, great guys through the years. And then as heading started evolving and Speedy came along and guys started reaching further and kind of taking a hold of the steer yeah. less and kind of almost rounding the corner out, um, then there was a transition for me like I had to change some things of how I did it because at the time for a long time I needed a switch Mm -hmm. I needed that steer to hit out load up and then take a good hop Mm -hmm. well then it changed and that was kind of around the time I was roping David Key and he's trying to keep his horses moving forward he's trying to kind of make more of a round corner and man, that didn't fit me very good. Mm -hmm. And it was hard for me to change, but through a two or three year period there, um, and I missed the NFR, you know, Mm -hmm. two or three times going through this learning curve. And now I feel like I've come out the other side. I feel like really no matter what the steer does, I still like it when a steer switches. Mm -hmm. It gives me a spot to ride into. It gives me a, a definite corner, but I also feel like now I can rope the steer even if he runs around the corner or if it's round or whatever happens just by keeping my momentum on my swing keeping my horse moving through the turn and reading what my partner's going to do and then come up with two feet and so there's definitely a, a change through time and um, you know that's yeah present time now that's yeah. where we're at when you're having trouble with something in your roping or your horses right now, who do you call? Uh, you know, I really don't have 
anyone. No. You know, I've through the years, me and Clay Cooper have been really good friends, and there's times where I might call Clay and talk to him, and or I might even just see him somewhere, and him, you know, it's kind of hard to get anything out it of Clay is, sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> but there were times where he might just come up and and give me some advice without mm-hmm. me even asking. Just you know, maybe it was an angle on my swing. Maybe it was something that I just wasn't mm-hmm. thinking and wasn't aware of. And uh, but I don't really have anyone that I uh, I'm kind of a loner. I don't mind being by myself. Mm-hmm. I don't mind traveling by myself. I don't need a lot of cronies around me or anybody <laughs> telling me that I'm doing great or yeah. not or whatever. And so I really don't have anybody that I just talk to all the time or I go to uh, if I'm struggling a little bit. I watch my own videos a mm-hmm. lot and um, and I'll watch other guys' videos and I'll try to break it down to the point where I realize what I'm doing and how to move through it, how to get through it, and how to do a better job. And then there's just no really replacement for just working hard at it. And so I really don't have that person I call. But (laughs) If you, at this level, how much uh, help are other guys to one another or like, are there secrets that guys want to keep for themselves? Like if, if Jade's working on something, is that Jade's secret? Or if, if Clay's working on something, does he, does he always share everything? How forthcoming are people? I, I think all the guys I'm buddies with, there's really – the only time I think anybody would kind of keep a secret is if they don't know if it actually works or not. <laughs> you know, they might be trying something and it's like, not really sure 100% if I really truly – am gonna count on this Mm -hmm. and I'm but I'm gonna keep working at it um I've I lived with Jade for a couple of years and we roped together a lot and we roped in the practice pen a lot and um there is that hunger and he has that hunger to be better than anyone's ever been and so I think he is constantly kind of trying some new stuff and I'm old school enough that my advice to him was hey don't try to reinvent the wheel Mm -hmm. there's a certain way it works and you do that really 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 good just keep doing that you know and so there's a certain amount of different guys minds are different and jade has a real intricate way of thinking about team roping and how it all works and anybody that knows him would know that um, and he's not one to go out and, you know, he would share stuff with me, but that was maybe as far as it went, maybe yeah. a few other good friends that he trusted. Yeah. But as far as I, I think there's a, a real happy medium with changing with the times and doing what you need to do to win, but not overdoing anything to the point where, you cause more problems. Yeah. And so there's a real, uh, a real happy medium in there with, uh, finding your niche and finding what works for you. Ride good, set the shot up, heal the steer, keep it as simple as possible. Mm-hmm. So, but there, you know, I say, keep it as simple as possible. And we could sit here for two hours and yeah. I could break down healing 
to the point where you're like, golly, <laughs> just, I was better off before I ever heard anything you said. So, and, you know, it, it takes a combination, I think. Yeah. Huh. What, um, you said ride good. What does riding good mean to you? What, how? Um, riding good to me is doing what your horse needs to make him the best he can be. Um, I think it's being balanced. It's being, uh, you know, using your left hand and your feet at the same time to position your horse so that you set up your shot so that you can make your shot. And you do it in a way that your horse wants to keep working for you. Mm -hmm. You know, it's building confidence. I've always felt like I build confidence in my horses and they want to do good for me. They want to work for me. And I, you know, some people might look at me like, you know what, they're a tool. You you use your horse, and when you've used him up, then you get another one. Mm-hmm. And I and I somewhat agree with that to a certain extent. But I've had some horses for a long time that I felt like would die for me, mm-hmm. you know. And even though me and Remix have been through it, man, if that if I needed to jump that horse in the middle of a river mm-hmm. or he spooks at trash cans all the time. <laughs> but if I make him, he would get in the trash can for me. <laughs> so, you know, it's kind of a, a deal where riding good is a relationship with my horse. It's uh, being consistent with how I ride to set my shot up so that I build confidence in me and my horse mm-hmm. and in my team with my partner and all of that working together so that you can do it more than one time in a row. If you're struggling with something, do you go back to, like, to slow work on the dummy? What, what do you do when you need a restart, when you're just fighting it? What do you do? Well, I, I do believe that it is important to slow down and go backwards to the real fundamentals, mm-hmm. the basic things, the foundation of what works. And so slowing down, going back to the, Smarties, my my dummy. Mm-hmm. That's what I use. So I go slow down on the Smarty, one step at a time. Then slower steers. Then speed back up to the point where you're back with a good rhythm, making mm-hmm. good runs. And and honestly, for the for the lower numbered roper out there, or whoever's listening you're going to struggle. There's going to be days that don't feel just right. Mm-hmm. And don't allow that to just drag you down to the point where it completely messes you up because that's normal. Mm-hmm. That is just a day in the life of a team roper. <laughs> and so uh, having that ability to, to, to have your fundamentals in place so that you can back up, slow down, go make some shots on the dummy, Make sure your horse is moving right. Make sure your rope's in the right position. Make sure you haven't changed in some way. In if you're just roping competition all the time, maybe you've moved your hand a little bit, or maybe you're leaning a little bit, or watch your videos, see. And then if you need something to some reference, well then go watch Jade, go watch Travis Graves, go watch Clay Cooper, go watch the guys that. Those Junior Nagara now Junior does some off the wall yeah, stuff. Yeah, maybe don't watch too much. And has the ability to do a yeah. lot of things that are not good, but it'll give you a different look. It'll give you a different idea and and so, you know, those are things that will help you 
uh, see it in a different way. You can't do something unless you can see yourself doing it. Mm -hmm. And so if you're confused about something, well, then you have the videos and the all of that are at our fingertips now where they didn't used to be. Yeah. And so the ability to go watch that stuff and see that stuff and get video of yourself, you need to be able to watch yourself do it. Because a lot of times I feel one thing, but then I watch it and it looks different. Mm -hmm. So being able to combine the two and know what I felt in a moment and what it actually looked like in that moment, I can, I can, work that out to the point where I, I start getting better results. And mm -hmm. so all of those things, if you're not using those, then you're just not cashing in on what's available. Mm -hmm. um, all the wisdom in your head and all the schools that you do, your kids don't like to rope, right? Well, I have a son that loves to rope, mm -hmm. but he works for a living. Yeah. And, um, when we have a chance, which not real often because he works his butt off mm -hmm. to feed his family and his wife and little kid and, That's awesome. and my granddaughter mm -hmm. and all of that. And so he he works really hard, but in the times where we get to rope a little bit, he has a blast. And he's actually really talented mm -hmm. for as little as he's actually Rope, roped yeah. through the years. He, he ropes really good. Um, my girls, Harley and Ashley, on the other hand, they... You know, they don't have any interest. Yeah. They'd, they would rather, you know, Was they're it? working on their careers yeah, and what them. they're going to do when they actually grow up. <laughs> yeah. And they're they're 24 now, I think. So, mm -hmm. you know, it's but um, but yeah, my I didn't I didn't really give my kids all that much opportunity to do what I do because I know how hard it is to make a living doing this. Mm -hmm. And so um you know, when I give other parents advice, I, I tell them, look, if if you want to get into something that is a lifelong deal and there's not a ton of money in it, you're going to spend a lot and it's going to be a high risk deal of whether they can actually make it and make a living then. And it's and it's a great way to live. Mm -hmm. I'm proof positive of that because I came from nothing no money no nothing and i've made a good living doing this but it's a hard way to make it and so you know i kind of go back and forth on whether i made a good decision to not allow jay to really compete a whole lot um which he was involved in sports in mm -hmm. high school and was a really good football player really good basketball player he played golf still plays golf really good all of those things, and so he became, he got to learn what it was about to be part of a team and be a team player and work hard and all of that stuff, and so he's going to be successful in his life because of those life lessons, no different than mm -hmm. if you're on a team roping team and you have to learn how to work together with somebody, and or if you're working a job and you got to be able to, you know, take it take uh advice or yeah. get bossed around or however and take it and use it and and do your job and learn and continue to grow in it um i i truly believe you you get out of something what you put in it mm -hmm. and that's just the way i am but uh, so i you know i'm glad that my kids are 
where they're at and what they're doing and I'm glad that Jay has a good job and and works hard to provide for his family and and he's not uh, and he he's gone working some but it's not like he's gone rodeoing yeah he still comes home every night he's still you know there for his family and rodeoing is a hard way to raise a family it is and did your so, kids come with you when you when they were young they did mm-hmm. they did go with me a lot mm-hmm. and so that was I can remember back a lot of fun times <laughs> traveling and I had a big semi truck and uh-huh. the girls in the little sleeper deal in the truck mm-hmm. watching tv and watching little mermaids and stuff <laughs> like that and it was good and then I can remember we had walkie talkies in the in the trailer I had a big bloomer with an in motion satellite and so mm-hmm. they'd be back there watching and then I'd get one of them on the walkie talkie Jay's doing this <laughs> the girls are doing that that was you know I'd have to pull over and yeah whip some butt yeah but, oh <laughs> but, my gosh rodeoing with kids is so hard though that is you know we there were certain times of the year where they didn't get to sure. go like this fourth of july week mm-hmm. that was off limits um but then there's plenty of other times where they could go and we could hang out and get to do fun stuff mm-hmm. and so it was a matter of just making it work mm-hmm. when we could um last question where does your confidence come from? Where, you know, does it come from practice? Does it come from the way your horses are working? Where do you source that? Well, I, I think the my main source of confidence and just who I am is my relationship with the Lord. Um, uh, in the Word, it says that I can do all things through Him because He gives me strength. And I truly believe that 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 inner confidence, that strength comes from the Lord. Now, I will say that uh, working hard at my roping, uh, being a good partner, uh, communicating with my partner, um, putting the work in, riding my horses, and doing all the things that I believe that it takes to be successful team roping, all of those things build confidence in what I'm able to do Mm -hmm. and so the uh, I believe that if if I just sit on the couch and you know feel like I should be able to do it and then go out and my horses aren't prepared I haven't spent time roping with my partner I haven't gone the extra mile to do the things that it takes to be successful well then I only have myself to blame and then that's going to you know, hurt my confidence. Mm-hmm. And I, I will say that I think I was just born with a real whole lot of confidence inside of yeah. me because <laughs> I can remember, I can remember watching the NFR as a kid. Um, and really all you got to watch was the 10th go round, you know, and, and thinking, Oh shoot, I can do better than that. Mm-hmm. You know, I can, I don't know why he didn't catch that one I know good well I could have you know and it was like and I could miss and miss and miss and miss and still feel like when I wrote in the box the next time there's no way you're going to make me miss and so I think a certain amount of that confidence was just instilled in me from I don't know if my dad my mom Mm -hmm. you know if they're that way they don't compete so I don't get to see that but I think in business you know, and what in the jobs they do, they've always kind of been that way. Yeah. And so I, 
think I just kind of got some of that along the way. But I've, uh, and I'm, I'm really hard headed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so <laughs> I, uh, I finally got to where I can admit mm-hmm. that. And even when I'm wrong, I know I'm right. <laughs> so <laughs> that's kind of <laughs> the way I've, I think that's why I've stayed yeah. in this business this long and had the success was I just, I worked hard and I just was so hard headed. I wasn't going to be defeated. So, <laughs> well, that's awesome. That's good to hear. Thanks, Corey. You bet. Thank I you. Appreciate it. Yep. Remember to like and share this podcast, guys, on all of your social channels and leave us a review so that more rovers can find it. If you're on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Stitcher, you do have the option of writing us a review, letting us know what you think. And I promise I read those. I take them to heart, and we definitely give you a response back. So thank you all. Have a great weekend.